For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Well, hey, everybody. I'm Alex Horton. That's Aaron Witt. Hello, and welcome to the Dirt Talk Podcast. Yes. We're here. Today, we've got... uh, a fan favorite format. Did we get a weird amount of um, engagement out of these? This is the Q and A. So thrilling. We, we've got all kinds of questions for you, Aaron. This, this is where we rely on our audience to carry the content we produce. Essentially, yeah. yeah why would we do any of the work? outsource the thinking <laughs> <laughs> to to our audience? You wouldn't believe the work I've done to get questions for this podcast in the last twenty months. Hey, if you guys could just do the job and come up with compelling topics. We'll, we'll discuss them to the best of our abilities, which is not that great. <laughs> and then True. we'll go to ask you for more questions. Like I said, I'm good at turning raw ideas into usable things. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just what I need from our audience every once in a while. Some raw ideas for me to turn it into content here in the room. Well, but like I told you, I, I only glanced at the questions. I didn't actually read many of them. I'll pick some good ones. As I glanced, I thought, oh, these are these are pretty good. This is good conversation. Yes. I would say this that good talk. Um, the questions are pretty qualified. There's nothing in there that's like dumb. Or maybe there's some things that are dumb, but that's like in a fun way. There's always something dumb, like especially if Garrett Wilson participates in anything. He's I'm, always... I'm pretty pro that dude... Uh, Engaging with the Buildwick crew. Yeah. I like him. I like Garrett, yes. Mm -hmm. But uh, some of the things he'll say within the direct message part of the social media. (laughs) Cannot make it to the airwaves. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I keep that to the direct messages. Sure. I think that's pretty fair. Mm -hmm. Well, we might even get to a question from him. Who knows? If not, we just brought up his name for no reason. Mm -hmm. No free ads. All right. First question here. This is from Michael D., who responded to the Instagram thing with, I sent this question to Alex. I was like, cool. Oh, good. I did get it, actually. Mm-hmm. So he says, in the dirt world, such equipment work, what is the most recognizable equipment logo without the name? Um, in sorry. your opinion. I'm really exhausted. Sure. I'm coming off of my race. Don't bring it up. Last weekend. Save, save, it for, save it for the podcast. Okay. okay. Um, I, f- I just feel like it's either Caterpillar or John Deere. I feel like John Deere is probably the most recognizable um, among demographics. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like children are more likely to recognize John Deere. Yeah, I feel like John Deere... And, like, my grandmother, who's 85. 
Because John Deere, they're big in the farming world mm-hmm. and it's just like a iconic American brand. But then you could also say the same thing about Caterpillar. True. But I don't know that my grandmother, I don't know that my, well, maybe it's because Caterpillar, you can't see it without the name. Like the, mm-hmm. the logo is the name. Yeah. Michael made a point, which I th- actually, this is what I would agree with personally. Bobcat. You don't have to see the name, but like a lot of people would recognize Bobcat. I've thought about Bobcat though. John Deere has Bobcat beat out. True. Seriously, like. I mean, the deer is. Yeah, the, the John, good. like the John Deere. That's that's just so iconic. That's beyond the Bobcat logo. Mm-hmm. I think for just general, off the street recognition. I would say John Deere. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, again, Caterpillar. Caterpillar is fascinating they got too. Big, big, big uh, piece of that market share. Well, what's interesting about Caterpillar? It's this, it's this iconic American brand, and they license the brand to a clothing manufacturer mm-hmm. that's very big outside of the United States. So you'll go somewhere like I remember where was I? I was in Peru, mm-hmm. and you'd see people wearing Caterpillar stuff all over the place, but it's just like normal fashion there, like, uh, like. You're not in the industry, but it's a brand, so you just wear it. So it's like a store at the mall, Mm -hmm. and it's Caterpillar or Cat. And it's the Cat brand because it's so tied to that iconic American industrial whatever it is Mm -hmm. that people gravitate to it abroad that are not in the industry. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. It is. Because I, I feel like that doesn't feel like a thing here. Yeah. I mean, obviously not as, to that extent. But I can't imagine a scenario, somebody who's not directly in construction wearing anything Caterpillar related. Yeah, probably not. Kind of a different thing. Mm-hmm. The most common equipment in the United States, if we want to go there, for sure Caterpillar. Yeah, that's it's just. And I've talked about this. It's, it's so annoying when people are like, oh, show, show something else but Caterpillar. It's like, well, tell all the manufacturers to sell more equipment because... Mm-hmm. All I'm doing is taking pictures of whatever's on the job site I go to. I go to a lot of job sites. My photographs, pretty representative of market share. Mm -hmm. Just saying, just saying, but. There's a lot of caterpillars out there. I don't know what I'm talking about. But it's also not 100% of what you shoot. There's plenty of other equipment. There's everything on there. But it's just a lot of caterpillar equipment. Yeah, but I like anything that moves dirt. Anything moves dirt, cool with me, man. I think it's a pretty fair place to be. Can I ask a John Deere question? Please. Obviously, they've got probably a bigger hold on farming like ag stuff they're they're the ag the provider ag. yeah and they i guess they just have a small foothold in like infrastructure it's starting to get bigger okay but they've partnered with other companies like hitachi for example and their excavators to get into that market mm-hmm. establish market share but now they've split off and they're now just manufacturing deer excavators there's no more joint venture oh okay um so they're they're getting pretty serious into earth moving, and they have a but they own the farming side of that, like the the ag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ag's as, bigger as, than farming. As far as market share is concerned, yeah. they're way more dominant in agriculture sure. than they are earth moving. Way more. Like they clean house in the agriculture space. Uh, I mean, I'm speaking out of my ass here because I don't really know, but based on what I've seen, they they do a pretty good job. Um, it would be controversial for me to say that I just like, um, 
the color scheme of John Deere versus Caterpillar more? Is that okay? Green is my favorite color. Pe- Dude, it's my favorite color too. Aww. Look at that. But they don't paint their earth moving equipment gray. They paint their farming equipment green, or I mean green. They paint their farming equipment green, mm-hmm. and they paint their forestry equipment green. So if you buy a John Deere Feller Buncher, it's green. And you're like, oh, man. But then if you buy a John Deere Excavator, it's the yellow and gray. It's like, but mm. I want a green excavator. A green excavator would look awesome. Or a green truck or a green bulldozer. Give me some more green, John Deere. That's what you guys do. But I want. But no, they don't do it. Well, now you got me thinking. Uh, Michael D., thanks for the question. Next question. This is from a Dirt Talk alumni, very good guy named Dylan Taylor uh, at One Armed Trades. Remember that guy? I, I you yes. remember that guy. Yes. He's, he sent me this email. He kind of like introduced himself <laughs> and I e- emailed him back. I'm like, dude, we've texted before. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we, we, you we don't need you. an intro. Yeah, like, yeah. We're good. We'll yeah. definitely ask this. Uh, I just thought it was funny. It was like, you're a good dude. I appreciate you. All right. He says, whenever I meet people, whether that's at my college or people in general, one of the first questions I get is what kind of work do you do? I reply with, I'm working in the construction industry, specifically underground utilities and excavation as an equipment operator. Nine out of 10 times, they reply to that with, oh, seriously, that must suck. Or that doesn't sound like fun, especially since you guys have to work long hours. Do people reply that way because the trades are looked down on? How can I respond back in a way that will educate them more or broaden their perspective about this line of work or just construction in general? Well, tell them your opinion on it. So it seems like you enjoy it based on everything I've seen. And so I would say, well, you, you, you know, you'd think it sucks, but it actually doesn't suck. I have a great time and this is why. And what we do is remarkably impactful. Like, for example, did you, have you used a toilet today? Have you turned a faucet on? You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. That doesn't happen by accident. Yep. So it's, I would tell them about your experience and how it's been positive. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily correct them and tell them they're wrong i would just say well, no it doesn't suck i swear yeah but actually you know here's my experience and then here's why what we do is really impactful because you could not live your life today without what we do mm-hmm. no ifs ands or buts about it so um but again we're we're facing this massive perception problem that's been decades in the making so yeah just build with do we want to go make the dirt world a better place and be a catalyst for change in the industry and start to address this perception problem and attract the next generation and get people treated better within the industry? Absolutely. But can we do it on our own? Even if we go hire hundreds of people, build a team of a thousand? No, we can't go do it alone. It is about, it's more so about those conversations that Dylan's having, for example, that people in the industry are having. Mm -hmm. Those are the conversations. We need to have more of those conversations. We need everybody having those conversations. Um, and there's a lot of people that can't correct those people when they say it sucks. And they probably would say, yeah, it does suck. And that's really what we need to correct is why are they saying that? Why are they not stoked to be here? Why are they leaving the industry? Is it because they're not treated well? They're not respected? They're not getting training? They're not getting the growth opportunities they want to see? Uh, they're, getting, they're getting yelled at while they're, uh, while they're at, uh, on the job site. Mm-hmm. Their manager is just a manager, not really an effective leader. Uh, is there total inflexibility when it comes to their, their, personal, their personal life? Is it pay? What is it? Why do they feel that way? 
And let's make sure that everybody within, if I'm a leader at a company, I would want everybody within my company, if they were confronted in that manner, Mm -hmm. to say, well, that might be what you've heard, but here's my experience, and it's completely different than that Mm -hmm. in a much more positive way. Yeah. And if all of your people can't say that, there's work to do, and I think there's work to do across the industry, so it's... My hope is everybody in the industry can say that, but I know that's not true. So how can we get the industry to that Mm -hmm. position? And then once we start having those conversations and it is genuine and they're like, man, Dylan really does enjoy it. Huh. My perception was off. That must be a great career. Yeah. And now you're starting to shift those perceptions one person at a time. And we do that by the millions. There you go. You're starting to shift perceptions of a society about a whole industry. Because to me, what that comes down to is being able to speak to why it's important and why i mean is it as simple as being able to speak to why you like it like why is it for you in addition to why it's important because there is that point like you you talk a lot about like do you like when your light switch turns on when you flip it mm-hmm. do you like when uh the water goes down the drain and goes away like that's to me that speaks to the important part But I also feel like that's only part of that conversation, right? It's like, I think being able to speak to, and here's why it's for me, I think is just as important to that from a person-to-person perspective. Obviously, it's kind of hard to communicate that when we're talking about like industry-wide things. We maybe put a lot of emphasis on here's why it's important. But I think person-to-person, being able to put real words to, this is why it's important. And here's why it's for me is probably just as valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it makes it personal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like it's, it breaks it down to its simplest pieces is because this matters to me. And we all, we all com- communicate and connect on like, oh, here's something I like. Here's something you like. We connect on that thing. One thing that I really like and I feel like has been um, something that has a flame that's been fanned since I've come to work at BuildWit is I love when somebody talks about something they're really into. When they lean forward in their chair, they get like to the edge of their chair and like start talking. And everybody we talk to that we have in this room, that we have in this office, are those people. Even if sometimes it's like the lean back, like real casual kind mm-hmm. of vibe, it's still like that same like energy. It's like, oh man, that person like gives a shit yeah. about this. And so I would say I, I'm definitely very lucky to hear a lot of people talk in the way that like, Dylan is asking about because a lot of people are, are are doing that but like you're right the more people that get better at those like person-to-person conversations the better mm-hmm. cool that's a good question Dylan thanks man uh left to hear your operating more equipment very cool all right next one this question's from everyone why did you run 100 miles I I mean I don't know why but fitness has always been a very big part of my life I was never big into sports but I've always liked the discipline of doing physical things. I, since I started the company, have gotten really disciplined with it where I don't miss days Mm -hmm. ever. Um, Even when I'm hurting like today or yesterday, I'm still outside walking every day. I'm still doing something. I'm still waking up at the same time that I would be normally stretching, walking. So it might be a slower cadence, but I'm still a slower pace, but I'm still doing it. Yeah. And then I've I've, kind of tied physical fitness to a... a higher purpose. It allows me to perform mm-hmm. in my job way more effectively than if I was not fit. 
like the travel I do, the schedule, the intensity, all of the energy I have to pour into what I do. I don't know how the hell I would do that if I wasn't where I'm at right now. Yeah. From a, just a physical and mental health standpoint, it, it wouldn't be possible. I, I just, I do the math on it. I'm like, there's just, there's just no way. I don't, I, I could not perform the way I'm performing right now. Yeah. So I view it as a competitive advantage. And so the more I can push the envelope there, I think the better I can for, perform just as a human being mm-hmm. and the faster I can grow. So I kind of asked myself, what are some physical feats I could put on the calendar that scare the shit out of me a little bit to see what my body and mind are made of? Yeah. I came up with three. I came up with, I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Check. I want to run a hundred mile race and I want to complete an Ironman. So last, last, and this was beginning of last year. So February, I, I try, uh, attempt my first hundred mile race. I, I fail about three fifths of the way in, like a little over 60 miles. Mm-hmm. My knee just, it was so painful and my mind just wasn't in where, a place where it needed to be. Yeah. So I ate It's not that, a race you just show up for. Yeah. Ready to go. It's, it's the, the thing with a hundred miles is you just, you can't fake your way through it. You just, it's it, true. <laughs> it just takes it, it, it like it strips everything back and it shows you here's where you're at. Yeah. There's just, there's, there's no hiding. So here is a very real assessment of where you stand physically and mentally. And that's sobering. So I, I failed at my first attempt and then I decided, well, let's go take a break from the hundred. Let's go focus on qualifying for Boston. So I qualified for Boston last fall. Since I got in, I'm like, well, might as well go run Boston. Yeah, you qualified. Might as well do it. Yeah. So I run Boston in April, which was a fantastic experience. And then, and I'm so thankful I qualified for Boston on the first attempt because that was rough, man. <laughs> <laughs> Running under a three-hour marathon is not a good time. Yeah. How many seconds did you have to spare? Seven. Oof. Yeah. So seven seconds from not qualifying and having to do it again. It's just like, oh. No. Um, and then I signed up for an under, another 100-mile race probably six months ago that we just did over the past weekend. But it's really... It's just such a good way to learn about life, to learn about your mental capabilities, mm-hmm. your your physical capabilities. It pushes you so far past what you think is possible. Yeah. And then you can take that line of thinking and start applying it to other parts of your life. Like, man, I was that wrong about what I could do in this situation. So am I that wrong in this other situation? Am I not pushing hard enough? Because uh, maybe not. I, I thought mm-hmm. I was way at my... I thought a marathon was my limit, but I did almost four of them back to back to back to back. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's that, and it's the, the life experience of it. And like just Jesse Itzler says, you know, anybody can do anything for a day. You do that for a day. Now I have that the rest of my life. I've run a hundred mile race. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that can say that. That's a really cool feather in my cap that I have now the rest of my life. So it was uh, just uh, all around good life experience. Yeah. And I'm very grateful I did it. Well, remind me, what's an Ironman? It's like two and a half miles swimming, roughly 110-ish Got it. miles bike uh, on your bike, mm-hmm. and then a full marathon. I'll probably do it next fall. Oof. Yeah. I've held off on it because I have to buy a, a nice bicycle. Yeah, and the bike like, you ride over to the office isn't going to do it. I don't know spending money for that right now because... That's not a cheap. That's uh, that's not, yeah, a cheap that's not something you run down to the Walmart 
No, yeah, you're not you're not riding the Walmart special and yeah. I've never done cycling before. Well, yeah, you also got to practice that. <laughs> it's yeah. not like, well, I'm in pretty good shape. I can just hop on a bike. I remember how to ride a bike. So I'm going to have to figure out that whole component, but that's the next frontier. That's, that's exciting too. Mm-hmm. Also, two and a half miles swimming, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, but I've done a lot of swimming. True. I'm not that intimidated by I've, it. I've never done competitive, like I never took swim lessons. I could just like not die in a pool. And so for me, it's like, yeah, that's fine. I can get from here to another thing. And then on my honeymoon, my wife who grew up doing like the swim team and all that stuff, she's like, let's go swim over to that rock. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty far. Like, I don't, I can't like swim. I can, I can swim. I can't swim. Mm-hmm. And like getting over there, I just remember being like, Fuck. like I, I told you, she's like, well, I didn't know you meant like you couldn't swim. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Like I... swimming is. It's just kind of a different thing. Well, when you grow up in Arizona, you're basically drowning each other in the pool in the backyard when you're like a small child. Or you die because it's 100,000 degrees outside. Well, yeah, because it's so hot. Everybody has a pool. Yeah. So that's all you do basically all year long. Because that's not really a luxury thing there, right? Like it just most places have a pool. I mean, I mean, technically you could say it's luxury, but yeah, a, a lot of, a lot of houses have pools, a lot of houses. So, or at least... You know, all my friends growing up did. We had one. And that's all you do as a child. All you do. You're in the pool seven days a week mm-hmm. in the summer. Um, so you just kind of grow up in the water. Sure. Not open water. You're in a pool. But you're at least comfortable around water pretty quick. But the the, the whole point, going back to the 100-mile race, you don't have to go run 100 miles. But I feel like everybody should do things and put something on the calendar at least once a year that kind of scares the shit out of them. Maybe it's running a 5K. Maybe it's going camping for the first time. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but I feel like everybody should have at least one thing on the calendar annually that gets them uncomfortable because we live, our, our minds and bodies are built for discomfort, are built for really extraordinary things based on evolution. But now we've put them in these really, really soft environments. Society where we live in America, very cush. There's not a whole lot of adversity here, mm-hmm. let me tell you, which is why I mean, mental health is a complete disaster. Physical health is a complete disaster. It's no, it's no secret. We have become a lot more comfortable as a, as a, a society uh, and our bodies and minds have deteriorated as a result. So because we don't have that discomfort that comes at us and that adversity that comes at us naturally, like mm-hmm. it used to, we have to make it up. We have to create it ourselves. Yeah. And so what are you doing? And maybe it's shit, dude. Like maybe it's, man, I've always wanted to do stand-up comedy or ballroom dancing. So you, you're you terrified, but you go do a stand-up comedy routine for the first time. I don't know what it is, yeah. but just something that is that that creates adversity, creates some amount of stress physically and mentally to put your body in a place where it should be. Mm-hmm. I think that's where humans should be. But you have to manufacture it because it doesn't come to us naturally anymore. I mean, for some people it might, but I don't know. I don't know. I I just, I wish more people push themselves because it's so, it's so beneficial. You get a lot out of it. So much out of it. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, everyone who asked and wanted to know, they certainly know now, Aaron ran 100 miles. My next question. All right. The next question is from Reese. They say, how did you find your core values? Really struggling to come up with original ones. I read a book called Uncontainable, and Uncontainable 
is written by Kip Tyndall. Mm-hmm. He created the Container Store, a wildly successful retail operation. And the book is essentially a breakdown of each one of their values and how they practice it and mm-hmm. why they're so important. Fantastic read. And that drove home the importance of core values. So I, I sat down and I started looking through a list of quotes I had written down from all of my reading I had done going to high school and just started picking out quotes that I liked, picking out thoughts from the container store, yeah. picking out thoughts from other books and starting to distill them into values. That's how I did it. But your value system when you start, especially if you're the one starting the business, it should really be your values. What do I value as an individual? And that's important because you don't, you don't choose your values. You can't be inconsistent mm-hmm. to your, your, your value system. Because that, if you're inconsistent as the leader, as the one creating the value system, then the value system, there's no credibility to it. It, there, it just, it'll deteriorate. It doesn't actually mean anything at that point. A lot of companies, they pick the values. They, they, they pick what they want to be like. It's like, no, that's, that's, that is not how it works at all. You have to pick where you're already at. You identify them more than you pick them. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. You have to really think about what is it that I hold what is it that I value? value? And, and look to other companies. I mean, look at other values. Look, go down the list of, of other values. And man, I really like that one value. Okay, grab it. Okay, grab another one. Okay, grab another one. And then we put them within our business and started to make them our own. Like we've had so many iterations of our values over the past few years, but you, you grab on to what, what you like, you put them into the business you start to feel them out. Mm-hmm. You start to see how they're playing out within, within the company and interactions and how they're unfolding in different ways. And then you can kind of ask yourselves after a few months, mm, this value doesn't really feel right. Or this one, it feels good, but we need to adjust it a little bit. Or I don't know, we're, we're, we have a really lighthearted approach, but we don't have a value that, 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 to that. embodies that. Mm-hmm. Well, what about lighten up? Oh, that's fantastic. Let's we, add that. Because we got rid of one for Lighten Up, right? We got, we've got rid of a few. Yeah. Yeah, it's been total trial and error. But then once you've felt them out within your business and as your business grows, they take different forms mm-hmm. and you really start to define them, then you start to feel really good about them. You start to, uh, to have a high degree of confidence. You start to... Yeah, these these this is what I believe in. Yeah. This is how I act. This is no problem. And then you can start to train on them day one when people come into our business. You can recognize people based on the values. You can start to drive home a value system as much as possible. Do we do that as much as I would like to? No. I wish we did it more right now. Just considering with how much is going on, we're doing our best. So we have a It goes in spurts, I think. We have a monthly core value award mm-hmm. where it's uh, peer nominated. So here's our values. Here's the list of people at the company. You can nominate one or multiple people for values. Whoever is nominated for the most wins the value award. And then I write a letter home to uh, not the individual, but the individual's family. Hey, uh, you know, Alex is doing great. He's doing so great that he won our value award for this. And don't just take my word for it, but here's what his peers said about him. I didn't know that he did that. It's really cool. I really enjoy doing it. And so it's not to say I've never won. It's just I won early enough 
to whereas before he added this too. Yeah, it's been probably the past six months. I think I got like a five dollar Target gift card or something like that. It's mm-hmm. like I think someone somehow you got one, and I think Jessica was like, "Just give it to Alex." And you're like, "Okay." Yeah, the gift the uh, the joke is a Chili's gift card. Yeah, now. <laughs> so we do stuff like that. There's you know the values wall in our office. Yeah, it's very prominently displayed. Values is part of our onboarding process. So we're talking about values in the very beginning. I'm constantly as a leader thinking about how can I drive home the values more clearly? How mm-hmm. can I more clearly define the values? How can I provide examples of the values? How can we use the training platform to create videos of the values to allow our people to see real situations in which they actually play out in real life so yeah. they can visualize them more effectively? But that's why we, we went from 35 to 80 people this year. Thanks to how much we invested in our brand online, in our recruiting system and process, and in our values, it was not total chaos. Yeah. Did we bat a thousand? We did not, but we did a pretty damn good job. A pretty damn good job. Yeah. And I know that because we just had our company meeting. I looked at that room of people and I thought, this is a damn good group of people. And this is a group of people that has a common set of values that binds everybody together, a common mission that binds everybody together. And you can just tell, you can just feel it in the room. You can feel it in within the conversation. It's just a wholesome group of people that all believes in something common. That's not to say we all believe in the same thing. I can go Mm -hmm. vote for one guy. You can go vote for another. That doesn't matter. That's good. That's good. We bring two different perspectives to the table. But here's the values within the middle of the table that we can both agree on, mm-hmm. no matter where we come from, who we are, and, and, and what we think otherwise. Yeah, that's kind of the requirement in terms of um, belief or, or buy-in or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of the operating system of the, of the business. But you have to design your, your culture. There's so many people in business, they think it just like materializes. Well, it they- does, but... Well, Not it does. the way that you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. But they think it's just going to take care of itself mm-hmm. in a positive way or it's a Christmas party every year. It's it's not any of that. Hey, guys, thanks for blowing out our sales goals uh, 200%. Here's a pizza party. No raises. Yeah, it's not a pizza party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have no... a pizza. Like, if you have like, a pizza sure. party, great. Fantastic. You know, okay, great. But that's that's not what defines a culture. That's not what builds a yeah. culture at the end of the day. You have to invest in it. And if you're a leader... And you're not investing in your culture. You're not being deliberate about it. You're leaving so much potential on the table. Mm-hmm. And if your business is successful without you being deliberate about it, just imagine where you can be if you were deliberate about it. Crazy. A great point. Because it's if your business is successful, and like say you do have a a strong, uh, like healthy culture, but you have not identified any real values in any real way like you're not talking about it there are values in, at play mm-hmm. you know so to me that it would probably behoove you to identify those and put name to those things um because like you said imagine what would be happening if you were you know putting words to those things that's kind of already happening if you're doing those things intentionally it's only going to make things better and and it, it's really helped with hiring and and when we've got it wrong letting people go We've designed a process in which no matter what their position is, people go through a a cultural interview and it's not, do we like this person? That's a terrible way to hire. Very flawed. It's very, uh, very engineered questions 
to tease out certain attributes that will allow us to kind of compare those answers to our values, mm-hmm. to our core attributes and determine, okay, good, this person, they fit within the guardrails of our business, of our values, of yeah. our culture. Now we can actually start to talk to them about the role they're interviewing for. That's essential. And then when it when you do have to let someone go, you can you can clearly look to the values and just say, hey, here is what's clearly being violated. Mm-hmm. You can provide that feedback to them. It still doesn't change. This is clearly being violated. So it, 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 there's no argument. Like it, it, gives you, it gives you something to fall back on to base mm-hmm. your decision off of. Not, oh, you're just not, we're just not feeling it anymore. So get the hell out of here. It's, hey, this is, this is the clear issue here. And then it shows everybody else, hey, you know that they were not aligned with our values or this value. That's how seriously we enforce the standards here. Yeah. And it makes everybody else, I think, feel I've seen this when we have let some people go in the past. Not even that they're bad people or whatever it is. They just were not uh, aligned with one of our standards or one of our values, which that's fine. That that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean they're flawed or whatever it is. It just doesn't mean they fit within our organization mm. specifically. It makes people feel more confident in our values and our culture because it's like, damn, they actually stand behind this. Have we got it again? Have we got it right every time? No, we haven't. No. But I've seen that be more positive than it would be if it was an arbitrary, oh, they're just not doing a good job. Let's get rid of them kind yeah. of approach. Thanks for answering that. Thank you, Reese, for the question. We got one more. Uh, we got one question. Why? Mm. Hard to I say. ask myself that every day, it's man. really hard to say, man. Uh, okay, uh, last question. I'll say it's from B. What are the biggest lessons learned from starting BuildWit? I mean, almost five years later, right? Yeah, almost five years. Kind of too too much? Um, yeah, this is... Coming a, on too strong? This is a big one, but my mind first goes to humility. I think I was, I thought I was a little bit too big of a deal the first few years and I got the shit kicked out of me as a result. Mm -hmm. I thought I understood what the industry needed to do very clearly and I had the solution Uh, and that just wasn't true and I got beat up pretty bad for it. And um, I mean, I probably could round some more edges here or there, but I feel like I'm in a much better place where. I'm not playing business anymore. It's like, I don't give a shit about a lavish dinner, a big meeting or anything like that anymore. It's just like, I'm just here to build a company and do my best and focus on what's right in front of us. And if I screw up, I'm going to admit I'm wrong and I'm not going to, I'm going to try to do better at not giving advice to people and instead put it like, hey, uh, if I were in your position, this is what I would do, but it's subject to be wrong at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah. So humility has been a big, big piece of it. Two, uh, so many people in business are, I think, negative about people. I think people is what makes business business and what makes businesses truly special. Yeah. It's not the idea. It's not the product. It's not the the service. It's the human beings executing upon whatever that idea or problem they're solving is. Mm-hmm. And so if you start to approach people in a positive, optimistic, caring manner, you'd be absolutely amazed at the results you get. But so many 
people in business, they're just so negative about it that it's like you 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 keep putting that out there, you're going to keep getting it in return. You're going to keep getting screwed. You're going to keep getting shitheads. You're going to keep getting people that aren't motivated. Yeah. If you believe all of that to be true, it is going to become true from a people standpoint. So like if you think millennials suck and are lazy, you're not going to attract the next generation. You're not, I, I don't want to work for someone that thinks I'm lazy and it, it just before I, I can even prove myself. That, mm-hmm. that sucks. That's not fun for anybody. So I think that's um, a big lesson learned. With the people thing, obviously you started the business and you were the only person to work to build with for a time. Mm-hmm. So about the first year or so. Yeah. Dan was kind of part-time. Chase came on kind of part-time, but no one was full-time mm-hmm. until after a full year. So how did uh, starting the company like that small, how did that round out like y- how you felt about like caring for like the folks that you bring in and all of that. What do you mean? So when you're talking about um, caring for your team and uh, like the people are kind of like the most important part of what you're like putting together. During that whole time when you're doing it by yourself, you're like, I, were you like, I can't wait to hire people? No, because it, was it wasn't really like, like a, I mean, it was a business, but was it a company? And, you know, I don't. It was kind of a company, but it just gets to a point where it's like. I need help. So I guess I'm going to hire somebody. And then you see the benefits of working with other people. Is that kind of how that starts? Yeah. Steam? I, I've kind of just fallen in love with the process of bringing people in and seeing what they can do. And I like, I like people working here because I know that at least we'll do our best to treat them as well as we can. Mm-hmm. Are we going to treat them better than anybody else? Not necessarily, but we're at least going to do our best. Yeah. And that's a lot more than I think a lot of other companies are at right now, which is why everybody has a workforce problem. Go yeah. figure. Um, so yeah, that was just kind of the next step. Lesson I've learned, vulnerability is such an asset. Yeah. Just being honest and being open and, hey, I screwed up. Or, hey, I need help. This is a real struggle right now. It's been amazing. We've asked a lot of the industry and a lot of the people we've worked with. And sometimes we've overstayed our welcome a little bit. Sure. But more often than not, when I've gotten in a tight, a tight spot and I've asked for help, people have helped. So that's been an enormous uh, lesson learned is don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to ask for help because it is scary and you don't want to appear weak or vulnerable you want people to think you're strong and you're, you're worth doing business with and yeah. you know what you're doing and this and that but everybody's been in that position they can relate and so if you're honest with them they'll actually end up having more respect for you and they're willing to lend a hand yeah. in my in my experience i i will say that i have seen an astounding le- uh level of vulnerability from um Honestly, there's a lot of people in this company, but like specifically leadership, more than I think I would have expected. Well, here. yeah, and you, you set the tone as a leader. I've built that into the company yeah. since the beginning. Right. And it's the importance built, of being that way. Yeah, going back to our values. It's yeah. within our value system, transparency wins. It's not just there mm-hmm. because I hope, oh, I, I just want everybody to be honest. It's, it's like, like, tell the truth more. No, it is it is straight up. That is how we do business yeah. here. And it. I think makes people feel a little uncomfortable when they come into the business and are like, what the fuck? 
what, huh? huh? This is way different than the places I've been before. I've never had this information before, like financial information. What the hell do I even do with this? Mm-hmm. And it almost, it almost has a, uh, the opposite effect at first. I feel like it's made a lot of people uneasy at first. So like, wait, what? So I need to, mm. and it's like, well, no, it's not your, it's not your problem <clears throat> to worry about these financial figures. Yeah. I just, I just want you to like, here's where we're at. So you're not wondering and, and, uh, you know, talking with other people yeah. with wrong information. And, uh, I just want you to like, here's where we're at. Yeah. So that's been a big piece. I think it's probably pretty good. I mean, there's some pretty big lessons. <laughs> there's been a lot of lessons, but I'm both, exhausted. Both, uh, so. Well, all hard won. Um, some maybe type two fun type things where it's like, man, that sucked, but I definitely learned a lot. Good to know. And others that were just like straight up. That was heavy stuff. I'm glad we know that now moving forward. I guess lastly, I'd say just trust others too. I jokingly told someone the other day, but it's actually pretty true. Uh, the more I've removed myself from things, the better we've become. <laughs> Find good people and let them do what they do. Mm-hmm. Get the hell out of the way. I've I've been able to do that very effectively because I'm young. I'm 27. I've seen, I think, a lot of people, uh, as they get older, they can't as effectively do that because they know more. They're just more experienced. But that's the best thing I've done. Is just hire great people, support them however I can, mm-hmm. but just stay the hell out of their, out of their path, and let them go do what they do, because that's when you can go create by far the best results. Yeah, well, and it, it also allows you to focus more on what you do, mm-hmm. and do well. Right? Yeah, and I stay in my lane and I support. And here's kind of the high level guidance I can provide. But when it comes to this, that's where you're at. Have I perfected that model? No, I haven't. But I feel like I've done a pretty good job mm. staying out of other people's business and allowing them to do what they do. Yeah. Amen. Amen, brother. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Uh, well, I think that is a pretty good Q&A episode. Thanks for the questions, y'all. Um, I'll make sure to save all the other questions for the next time we come through. Super. Uh, yeah, thanks for submitting the questions on my Instagram. If you have any thoughts or anything to tell us, you can always send us an email at dirttalk at mm-hmm. We always love to hear from you. <clears throat> it goes right to Mr. Alex. It does. And if it's positive, it makes him feel warm and fuzzy. <clears throat> he reads the kind messages in bed next to his wife in the evenings to True. ease his mind, allow that's, him to sleep better. That's something I do every day. <clears throat> if they're mean... I don't know what you do to cope there. I mean, I'm, I'm still reading them out loud, but it's... At the bar. It goes <laughs> by yourself. <laughs> Crying into my glass. That's exactly how it but is. We would, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have anything to say, send it on over. We'll see you on the next one. Stay dirty, everybody. <laughs>